The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm here in Charlotte at the Big Oak table for the first time. They just left this over here, Steve, which is kind of annoying. I think it'd be perfect right here. A place looks great, but I'm going to suggest this as a change. Well, I think you look good, but now Jeff, he needs, uh, let's see, a little mustache. His eyesight's never that good, so we're going to give him some glasses. Oh, glasses. That way he can see the races better. Oh, yeah, I think that's much better. I agree. Let's keep it there. NASCAR America. I am at the Big Oak table. Uh, Steve Latar, our Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett, and unfortunately we had to take a shot at our buddy Jeff Burton. He's going to be here tomorrow. Burton, I was trying to get in the door. They had me locked out to save that from happening. Mm -hmm. I'm so sure. I'm sure we'll hear plenty more about that tomorrow. Oh, I got 20 weeks of it, so I'll never hear the end of it. I am so excited to just be sitting at this table with you guys. Normally, I make you guys come to me. I know. This is a guest appearance. I like it. Glad to have you in the South. It's very special. You want to know what we're doing on the show today? Sure. Okay, I'll tell you guys. Uh, We have a lot to talk about. Brad Kozlowski made some comments this past weekend about the talent pool in NASCAR. Are they going to leave if NASCAR stays on this path based on what we saw at the All-Star Race and the rules package? DJ says no. Part one of Scandal Michigan is going to show you which drivers got the most heated during Sunday's race and also some reflections from Clint Boyer after his second win of the year and what was going through his mind as the rain came down. Once I went down pit road, which as everything else I ever do was kind of awkward. I followed the, the pace car and everybody else stayed on the track. I'm like, oh damn, what, what, uh, we, we supposed to be doing this? I didn't know what was going on there. Um, but once I got stopped and I looked out the side window, I could see the precipitation that was coming down. I knew there might be a chance. Then you start praying. <laughs> so Clint Boyer had his doubts, but ultimately that was the move of the race. That's what everybody's been talking about so far this week. And finally on NASCAR America, we have you, Steve, our crew chief, to take us through the process of this, making these kinds of decisions. What is the mentality? Well, it's very difficult because it's basically a risk versus reward. Do you want to gamble? Do you have a car enough to win without gambling? And that's what all these drivers have to do. I really think it's much bigger than that, though. You have to look at the point system, how you make the playoffs, a win gets you in the playoffs. And I personally think some of the crew chiefs on pit road are a little slow to adapting at what the value of a win is, DJ. A win kind of trumps anything. And I think some of what we saw out of Mike Bugaravich on Sunday was a crew chief that has won a race yeah. and he's in the playoffs. So he gambled and the gamble paid off. Yeah, well, it was an easy call from my sofa. I know that much, but <laughs> yeah, I didn't have anything to lose by saying, why are all of these guys not just getting two tires and putting Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch, if you will, even though Kyle hadn't shown the speed to get up there, but he has all year. But why are you not putting as many there? Then you're just racing others like you that just have two tires, and Harvick just has to pass as many as he can possibly get. And if by chance that rain does come, which it did, uh, then you've got a shot. You at least 
took a chance at that. And I don't think that those cars that were running in the top 10, they weren't going to make their cars so bad that they would have gotten lapped on a right. long run. Right. So that's my argument uh, against that. I'd just like to see with the value of that win that you speak of now, it puts you in the playoffs, especially this year with the few winners that we got. We know that's 100% that that's going to happen. I would have liked to have seen a little more gambling. But, you know, Carol, it's easy to say you're going to gamble. I was just going to say but, that. But for 10 years, I was, I was on top of a pit box, and I said, oh, it's I'm going to gamble, I'm going to gamble, I'm going to gamble. Not until the last year, not until I had this job, basically. It was announced at the beginning of 2014. Dale Jr. and I won the Daytona 500. We were in the playoffs. That's really the only time when I look back at my career that I basically truly gambled. We left Daytona. We gambled in Phoenix ran well. We ran at Las Vegas on fuel. We ran out of fuel, ran second. Pocono, we were very aggressive with our pit strategy, ended up winning that race. So it's easy to say gamble, but I'm not sure I'd have made this call. This is 2014 Pocono. We already have come to get tires. We do this very creative type strategy, come to get gas only. Now it worked out. You see the excitement. It's He's always confident. fun. That guy's confident. I knew he had to beat one car <laughs> off that road and right there that laughed as we beat that car <laughs> off that road. But it's something, you know, and, and I would love to blame the owners, but Rick Hendrick, my job was never in question. He never threatened my job. He gave me the leeway to make these calls, but you can't bring yourself to do it. It's so difficult to return to the shop on Monday morning, to walk into 80, 90, 100 men and women that put their heart and souls into that race car and feel like you let them down. Yeah. And while you could maybe justify the gamble, man, looking into those guys and those girls' face, that is, that is disappointment to no end, and you just don't want to be responsible for that. Yeah, and I know it's a difficult call. I'm not sitting here and criticizing these guys. I do yes, question are. why they wouldn't in today's world with the playoffs being the way that they are, and especially those teams that were there that really haven't maybe shown the speed, but on this particular day, they've got a decent enough car. They find themselves in the top 10 to put themselves in position. It's not like they're racing too, and I understand that you know points are valuable too because we're going to have a lot of uh, drivers to get into the playoffs on points. Points, uh, if this continues with, with no more winners or just a couple more. But I, I just think that at some time, your owner would appreciate you putting your driver and your team in that position uh, with the stakes as high as they are to trying to get to victory lane. And as difficult as it is, these opportunities don't come along very often because we've got three or four drivers dominating the victory lane right now. Listen, there's nothing wrong with saying those guys should have taken two tires because this is the highest level of this sport and there's a lot on the line and the chances don't come around. So instead of saying, what yeah. were you going to say? Well, I'm just saying it was the perfect storm, if you will, for <laughs> it to happen, you know, to yeah. take advantage there's of a situation. There's nothing wrong with saying that, but, but we're saying everybody should have gambled this, that, and the other. Get down to it. Who should have done this specifically? Well, so to have a chance, you have to finish in the top 10 at the second stage. I know it sounds great that you're going to gamble from 15th or 20th, but it doesn't work. You're too far out of the game already. So you look at the top 10 finishers of that second stage, it's interesting because Harvick, Boyer, Bush, Kyle, both Bushes, Kurt and Kyle, they were both all on pit road to lap 87, took rights. Paul Menard, bravo to that team. They didn't even pit at lap 87. That's why they're fifth. The two cars I want to really circle, Ryan Blaney and Brad Kozlowski. Those two Penske Fords were good, not great, but DJ, they took four tires about 30 laps earlier in the race. Better left side tires than everyone in front of them. Those are the two in my mind that were set up best to gamble. And I'm a little surprised. Paul Wolf is a gambler. Yeah. I've raced against him. I've lost to him. He knows how to work that strategy. The only mindset I can come to is he must have assumed everyone in front of him would take two and being on the same strategy was no good but in hindsight that's a gamble I feel the 12 and the 2 should have took yeah I think if I looked at this I had to figure that Kevin Harvick 
was going to get four tires with his fast race car because they feel like, and probably could have, with enough time, could have passed everybody that, that would have taken two. You know, he would have passed Boyer in a few more laps uh, with the, uh, the right situation. So I, I think that everybody should have done everything they could to put that four car back as far as they possibly could in, in that scenario, in that situation. And if you get, if a lot of people, and, and as Mike said, he wanted to, he thought everybody was going to do it. This was going to give him his chance. If everybody does it, then you put that car, that four car, the fastest car, that much further back. So I think everybody should have been been taking that gamble, aside from maybe the 21 who hadn't been yeah. to pit road in quite a while and needed four tires at that time. But there's two ways to look at it. Who shouldn't have done it? Or maybe we should be applauding Mike for doing it. Yeah. Because it, without a doubt, gave the 14 a chance to win. Okay. How much of a gamble was this? In actuality, because when you listen to Clint Boyer and Bugga talk about it after the race, it almost sounded like they lucked into this a little bit because they thought everybody else was going to do it. And then you heard Clint say, uh, are we doing the right thing here? Right. It, everything kind of, like you said, Perfect Storm fell into to his lap. I mean, even if it is lucky, is there still an element of, you know, risk and gamble to this? So I don't think there's a, a risk as far as not making the playoffs or losing points because they're already in. The risk is what it does to their relationship. Does it damage the driver-crew chief relationship? Because that's what you currently work on. This is a call that I'm confident to say Mike Buggeravich does not make in 2017. That team struggled. We saw him and his driver at odds, at serious odds at a few races. But I talked to Clint some over the offseason about this, and he said, you know what? He's a smart guy. I'm the leader of this group. I'm the veteran. They went hunting. They went fishing. They drank a few cold beers together. And he finally, I think, got Mike the confidence he needed. As an engineer, we knew he could set up the race cars. Yeah. And then you put a Martinsville win on top of that. I mean, this sounds silly because Kevin Harvick and Ronnie Chills were without that dominating a Stuart Haas camp. But don't get Clint Boyer on a hot streak. I mean, this is a guy yeah. that's emotional. We know it, right? And if you get him going the right way, it's going to build confidence. And this was, in my mind, a great move from an engineer that I've been very tough on because he was very analytical on top of the pit box. This was a gutsy gamble that I really appreciated. It was probably the easiest two-tenths out of a driver he ever got by going hunting and drinking beer with Clint Boyer. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's got him right there. Oh, yeah. Here's it doesn't, I guess it doesn't take much, right, to get on <laughs> Clint Boyer's You know, it sounds slide. silly, but we, no, we talk about the matters. machines and we talk about the talent. But how do shooters get in the hottest streak ever? How can they never miss a three-point? It's a mindset. It's confidence. Yeah. It's trust. We talk about driver communication with the crew chief and all these cool little keywords. But in the end, it's really like a marriage. And you have to believe the guy on top of the pit box. If you question, even in the back of your mind, what he's telling you, you're burning effort that other drivers aren't. And as a crew chief, if you're questioning the job your driver's doing, then you're burning effort. Like, you have to truly believe in one another and you can say it, DJ, but you know you've been in some great pairings. At the years ago when you and Todd Parrott were whipping us all every Sunday afternoon, you just if he said pit, you pitted. Yeah. He said stayed out, you That's stayed right. out. And it was obvious they were clicking. And here's something they'll have for the playoffs now, too, because not only does Clint know that his crew chief is willing to make a call like that, but now Mike understands that if I put my driver, Clint Boyer, in that situation, there is no way Clint Boyer should have beat Kevin Harvick the other day. Right. But he willed that race car. I mean, he's a tremendous talent and a great competitor, but he still shouldn't have beat Kevin Harvick, but he got the job done in the amount of time that he had so to. So you do all the work behind the scenes. You go hunting, you go fishing, you drink beer, whatever. And then when it all comes to fruition and he makes a call like this and it ends up working out, is that moment enough to really just push Clint and Mike where they need to be moving forward, especially now with a pair of wind under their belt. Well, I still think they have to figure out how the 14 is a little short on speed to the four. I think that's a fair statement. Week in and week out, the four is quicker. Yeah. 
but there is no telling where this wave of momentum will take them. And the only downside is it's a long ways to the playoffs, but if they can continue to build momentum, I, I wouldn't want to race against them. Listen, you talked about his driver. If I'm a crew chief playing chess against 39 other crew chiefs, Mike just went to a different category. He went to that category that he's a little sneaky. You better watch him because he will end up getting you by track position. I don't think Rodney Childress had any idea that was going to work, yeah. and it ended up working. Yeah, and here's the thing when you get to the playoffs and competing against him. Okay, if you find a little speed here and there all the way till we get to those 10 races, you don't have to beat that four car and the 18. You don't have to beat them every week. Every three weeks, you got to do a really good job and find a way to beat him or be right behind him to get yourself to one race and then figure out a way to beat him. That might be pit strategy. That might be you hit on the, the perfect scenario for that one race at Homestead, and all of a sudden you're the champion. All right, we're going to have more coming up in the show on Clint Boyer's evolution as a driver. Some have likened him, Parker, on the show yesterday to Martin Truex Jr.'s mm -hmm. path. He's here, yeah. like you said, don't wake the beast, but that may be the case. So we'll take a look at where he's been over the last couple of years. And we know the drivers this weekend weren't racing just each other. The weather played a role as well, so we're going to revisit all the action from Sunday in this week's edition of Scan All Michigan when we come back. Stay with us. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Welcome back, everybody. I want to remind you, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard returning to star in the next chapter of one of the most exciting movies in history. Do not miss the movie event of the summer. You can see Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in theaters June 22nd. It may not harken back to the age of the dinosaurs, but Michigan International Speedway, rich with history. And this year, MIS is celebrating its 50th anniversary. And to commemorate the milestone, the track is featuring a golden start-finish line. Pretty cool. Cup Series made its first of two trips to the Irish Hills this past weekend. So let's see how things unfolded in part one of Scanall, Michigan. at Michigan International Speedway. The engines have fired along the pit lane. It stopped raining. The track is dry. No rain on radar. We gotta get this show going. We are going racing. Gotta tell the 42 if he fights my rear bumper again. It tries to fence me. It's on. I tip You're driving away from him. Matt Kenseth at 32nd. Just trying to get to the break. I mean, this is honestly, they're just totally undrivable. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, to be honest with you. Stenhouse said, Dylan, maybe had a little moment. I mean, come on, clown. I mean, I don't understand what the 17s are pissed off about. I ain't worried about it. Just because his granddad owns the company, thinks he owns the whole track. 43 inside, inside. Bubba Wallace gets into the back end and turns David Reagan. 43 just directed. Yeah, I knew he was going to do that. I don't know. Architects just slow. Even when I do hit it good, these guys drive away from me down the straightaways. What about if we drop the back like one and a half rounds both? Pull right from Packers. I don't really give a damn. Do whatever you want. Um, I mean, we're 25th place car, so. Trouble turn four! Stay in the gas, stay in the gas. Matt Kenseth spinning off of turn number four. Sparking pretty good there. Just be ready if it catches on fire. We can only hope. Open, three rows open, quickie yellow. One to go with the line. Okay, let's close, guys. Your mind, they close it, they close it. Do not pit. They are coming to the green. But the green? Damn. Six isn't even back in pit road yet. How would they do this? What the f are we doing? A lot of discussion among the drivers <laughs> as to where they're supposed to be lined up right now. Ask Nasser what the hell we're going to do with the 42 here. 
same thought we were watching that we were kind of talking a little bit frustration is really what stands out i matt kenseth resonated with me basically <laughs> saying this thing could catch on fire and that might cut us a break and then also ricky stenhouse jr sounded like he just did not care at all it, to me that's an example of two drivers who know what it's like to be at the front who know what it's like to win and they just are frustrated it's that time of year carolyn you know you build up expectations all winter long you go to Daytona, may or may not work out. Then you do the West Coast swing, and then you have this, and you have all these moments. Get to the 600. All that's behind you. Now is a long grind of a summer at very difficult racetracks with equipment that isn't driving like they want. You heard frustrations from Matt and Ricky about their equipment, frustrations with how they line up. You and I have done this. The summer months are long. And remember, we keep going back to this. Three drivers continue to kick everyone else's teeth in every single week. You know, so I think that frustration is only going to build it throughout the entire field. Yeah, and when you get to a place like Michigan that the, the cars are so fast, and when your car is off a little bit and it's a handful to drive like that, it is no fun whatsoever, especially as you see others that are having fun. And, you, and in particular, if you're driving a Ford and you're not running somewhere up close to the top 10, then your stuff is really bad, it looks like, right now, because the Fords are dominating uh, that top 10. And, and Matt Kenza might wish that he were back home with Katie and the girls uh, right now because he's got his hands full in, in trying to help them get these race cars better for Ricky Stenhouse and Trevor Bain. We're going to hear more from Matt coming up in the show. I just wonder how good these scandals are going to get in these next couple weeks, oh, especially yeah. with just a small portion of drivers at the top, and you've got all these other guys so frustrated, but we'll see. Uh, coming up next, this is what we really wanted to talk about today. This debate that's continuing over this aero package that was used in last month's All-Star Race. Brad Keselowski did not hold back this weekend. We're going to have more on what he had to say and what should be done when we come back. We are now joined in the media center by our race-winning driver, Clint Boyer. Can you believe it? Say no. that again. One the more race time. race-winning driver, Clint ah. Boyer. Feel like you stole one today or? Oh, I beat him. <laughs> Make no mistake, I beat him. Wait a minute, you said I don't know what he said. He, well, no, he's, he, he said he saw the same front That's the thing, else. he'll ask you, you know, your opinion in there. You're like, oh, man, I don't I don't have radar. Radar ain't on my dash. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. He took two tires and won that race for us, and I was super pumped for him. Lucky <laughs> We uh, We're going to drink a little bit tonight, by the way. I drink more of Kevin Harvick's sponsors than I'm pretty sure he does. It's a hell of a, of a sponsor. There's nothing better. I have no idea what where we went with this, but uh, there's nothing better than having a sponsor like that in Victory Lane to be able to celebrate. That is awesome. Congrats on your win. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> Never a dull moment with Clint Boyer. He's now fourth in the Monster Energy Series playoff standings after his win on Sunday. So let's go through the field now, starting with Boyer's crew chief, Mike Bugarevich. 
pretty pumped about winning on off weekends because the next one's Indy and the next one's Homestead. <laughs> so this is looking pretty good so far. It was a good day for us. Um, you know, our pit crew was was solid. Uh, Rodney made good call there uh, in the middle of the second stage to keep the track position and, and, and be able to uh, drive away and get the stage win. Yeah, we've been consistent this year. We haven't had uh, that super perfect all-star type day. We've just chiseled away at being consistent, uh, not making mistakes, and our day will come. Uh, we just have to put ourselves in position more often. Yeah, really fast forward all weekend. Um, got I, I spent on pit road, got to the back. We made some headway. 19 door slam, we had to go to the back again. Greg made a gutsy call to stay out and, and had to fast forward to, to stay up there on old tires. So uh, proud of my guys, good point stay. Uh, heading to uh, off weekend then then go uh, jam some gears in Sonoma. So I'm looking forward to it. No, the blue ovals were, were tough today. It wasn't anything about SHR. Uh, they go down a straightaway really, really fast. We have a hard time keeping up with them there. But um, our car through the corner was really awesome. The M&M's Camry was really, really good there after yesterday's practice. I thought we had something for him, and if it was going to be a little bit hotter and sunnier today, I felt like we were going to be really good, but um, that just wasn't the conditions for today. I've never felt like Chevys have been at a disadvantage this year. Um, you know, our team has been pretty solid every race. Um, you know, I, I think some of the teams maybe just use it as an excuse um, where, you know, we don't, we don't do that. Kyle Larson couldn't recover from a mid-race spin Sunday at Michigan. Among the other notables, Ryan Blaney did win stage one. Jamie McMurray scored a top ten, and some handling problems kept Martin Truex Jr. from contending. You see Brad Kozlowski finished in sixth place, but he did make some headlines this weekend after voicing concerns about running the aero package from last month's All-Star race. I think that package needs to remain solely at the All-Star race. Um, I think that uh, a lot of the drivers in this sport are in a position where they chose cup racing because the demands that the cars take to drive. Um, and I think there's a lot of fans that come to our races um, expecting to see the best drivers. I think if you put a package like this out there, uh, like what we had at the Charlotte All-Star Race, on a consistent basis that the best drivers in the world will no longer go to NASCAR. They'll pick a different sport. Um, that won't happen overnight. That'll, that'll happen over time. And I think that would be a tragedy to this sport. So Brad Kozlowski says, DJ, that drivers are going to start to pick a different sport if NASCAR heads down this path. What's your reaction to that? Mm, you know, I, I appreciate Brad and his honesty and his opinion. And I think a lot of things that he said are, are right. And I, and I appreciate him not thinking that this needs to be the way that we go everywhere. I will agree with that. It's not that package isn't for every racetrack. I think there are racetracks that right now that would be the best case scenario to get good racing that the fans appreciate and enjoy. I will caution Brad that there's going to be plenty of drivers to take his seat if he wants to go somewhere else and try to make the money that he makes right now and to be in the, the best form of motorsports in the world. I, I, so you better be careful with that. I, I didn't like that comment whatsoever uh, because uh, there are plenty of good race drivers out there that are looking for that opportunity. I think, though, that that type of package takes another set, skill set, too. That, and, you know, Every track is different. You, you do different things, and you have to, to apply yourself as a driver in different ways. Making these changes at Michigan and California, for an example, if we did that, it's not going to make Daytona and Talladega. It's not going to make that type of pack racing, but it's going to make things closer and a different type of racing than what we see there now. So, um, again, I appreciate everybody has those opinions, but uh, I, I do think that 
something needs to be done in, in that respect. And, and I'll go back. I've said this a number of times, probably on this show a number of times. But Robert Yates started telling them in 1995 that they better start reducing the, the cubic inch size to where these engines were going to get so fast and the speeds were going to get so high that the racing wasn't going to be as good. And I'm not criticizing the drivers for the way that some of the racing is. They're doing their job, and, and you want to go fast as a race driver. But this sport was built not on speed. There are other sports that go fast and boast about speed. This sport was built on close competition and, and rubbing and, and things happening. And that's the way it's always been, and, and that's what fans love about this sport. Am I missing something, Steve, or are we not giving Steve O'Donnell enough credit here? Has he ever said, has NASCAR ever said that this is something that's going to be immediately implemented at every single racetrack? This notion that this is going to be something we're going to see on a consistent basis have we seen that at all? I don't I don't understand where that's coming from. Well, I think there's two conversations. The first is, should Brad or any other driver speak their opinion the way he did this weekend? I am voting yes, whether I agree with it or don't. You can't sit here as a media member, which I do all the time, and say, you know what? I want the drivers to have personalities. I want to know what they think. Yeah. And then say, well, I don't want them to say that because I, I don't agree <laughs> with it. So to basically agree with DJ as far as what Brad had to say, I applaud him for saying it. Do I agree with Brad Kozlowski? I do not. I don't think we're going to lose drivers because of that. I like the Cup Series because it takes a variety of skill sets. Sonoma is not Martinsville, is not Charlotte, is not Michigan, is not Daytona. You could continue. I think that NASCAR, Steve O'Donnell, as you mentioned, deserves credit. The sanctioning body deserves credit that no offense to Brad and no offense to the fans and no offense to me or DJ, they don't have to listen to any one of us individually. I think it needs to be a collective voice. They need to take that all in and then make a decision. In the end, it's NASCAR's responsibility to put on the best type of entertainment, the best type of race, to suit the racetrack, to suit the fan base. There are racetracks. The biggest bullseye racetrack to me is Indianapolis, a facility that has not put on the best cup races over the years, but is a facility, in my mind, the most famous racetrack in the world that NASCAR needs it needs to be on the schedule to be taken seriously in 2018 as an american-based motorsports you must run at the brickyard so nascar now in my opinion dj has an ability to improve the type of racing we saw a great racer last year with the old rules there were some accidents there were lead changes there are great racing but let's up the chances of a great race yeah. and i think nascar now is a little smarter and they have the chance to do that and i think that's what this rule package does yeah and i'll say i'm not in favor of of running Restrictor plates at a lot of places. Right now, that's the, the quicker fix. I think in the long run, we do have to look at cutting back. It's never going to get cheaper to do. It would have been a lot cheaper to implement this back in the 90s, and we'd already be, we wouldn't be having this conversation about a lot of things. They would make plenty of horsepower. They'd still run plenty fast. But I'll put on, point out two things. In the Xfinity race on Saturday at Michigan, we saw three wide racing at times with, with the package that they had there. We never saw three wide in the corners uh, at Michigan in the cup cars because they were so much faster. You couldn't get the grip there, and you couldn't be in control of your race car. Last year at Indianapolis, we saw William Byron make, th make a three-wide move up in a place that nobody ever went that didn't crash uh, after going there in turn three, I believe it was, uh, in a three-wide situation because the speeds were so much slower. So that's all that I'm implementing. I'm not wanting to take the driver's skill sets away. You, you're going to drive, if, but the restrictor plate limits them. And I know, I understand fully that they don't want that any more than they have to. Dayton and Talladega, that, that's fine. But right now, the, the fix for some of this uh, is to use that until we downsize these engines and cut that back a little bit. Well, DJ talking about downsizing the engine. I do think that opportunity exists when we hear about new manufacturers. We all 
think, we all hear, the rumors are, you know, the engine architecture in five years, 10 years, 20 years is going to have to change. I think this is the opportunity. And I know for a fact there are people at NASCAR working on this. I want to get into what Hall of Famer Mark Martin had to say about this because he said that he was speaking as a fan. And here's what he said. Racing in NASCAR is supposed to be the hardest, most difficult thing that you could ever try to do as a race car driver. It really, really hurts me to think about the fact that we would want to change to satisfy Johnny-come-lately fans. Let me start by saying Mark Martin is a fan of the sport. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a student of the game. There's a very good chance that he's watching right now. I have a huge problem with this only because you want to talk about Johnny-come-lately fans. That's exactly what I am. <laughs> I am a Johnny-come-lately fan to this sport, and I have had trouble watching some of these races because, quite honestly, I wish that there was more happening. And I resent the fact that Johnny-come-lately fans wouldn't be welcomed into this sport. And Dustin Long wrote an article, and this is why I'm getting so fired up about this. Why does it have to be drivers versus fan base? Why does it have to be old school fans versus new school fans? Why can nobody agree that for the good of the sport, things are going to have to change and evolve? Change is inevitable. And this Johnny Come Lately fan would like to see some changes. I'm sorry, Mark. I know you're probably watching. You're going to call well, us well, in a second. Listen, this is why, and I say this, and you've said this before. It's really easy to be an official when you're not an official. Of course. It's yeah. really easy to be the, the umpire when you don't have to call the balls and strikes. I'm glad when these conversations come up that my opinion is an opinion and it's not setting the chart of any part of the sport because the decisions that NASCAR has had, remember, sacrilegious when we went to the Brickyard the first time. The open wheel fans were going to tear the place apart because there were stock cars on the, on the you know, famed yard of bricks. Change is inevitable. It's going to happen. There will be fans that like it and fans that don't. So I respect that you have an opinion. I respect that Mark can have it. I think that we all have to understand that entertainment is the goal, and with that comes sacrifice from the fan base, from the drivers, from the sponsors, from everyone. So yeah. is entertainment the goal? I mean, because that's well, kind of sports. Let's be clear. Well, uh, right. I mean, it's that's sports. what I would assume. But that's isn't that what this is all about? Is trying to figure out which master is everybody serving here? Yeah, and it, it's is a it, form is it of entertainment. Yes. It's a competition. It's a sport, and I, I'm I'm going to go all the way back to. Bill Jr., that's who I grew up with running uh, this sport of NASCAR at the time. And from the, the point of telling me that in times that this sport was here long before I came along to be here long after I go away from it. And it obviously is still doing very, very well. Here, here's the thing. Yes, I agree with Dustin and what you said. We don't need this to be the fans versus the drivers. But in today's world of social media, you're going to always get that at this point in time. They're going to bump heads. What we need right now, and, and this would Kind of so NASCAR has to take the bull by the horns here and say, okay, we're taking input from the drivers and we're listening to the fans, but ultimately we're going to make the decision as to what's going to give the best competition here. Because without the fans watching on TV and in the seats and, and coming and watching those races and bringing young people along and new fans coming along, then, then the sport isn't going to get and stay where it needs to be. So we need NASCAR to really take a stance here. Somebody there say, we're in charge, and this is how it's going to be. We appreciate input, but this is what's going to be best for the sport. That's the way Bill Jr. ran things, and, and it was during a time. And I know things do change, and it's a difficult situation, but Bill Jr. had it. Back when he was doing things, everybody said he would make changes. You know, if, if 
I was driving a Ford and we had a little bit of advantage for four or five weeks, then we got more spoiler or they did something to help the Chevrolet and the Dodges at that time uh, to, to make things more competitive. People were up throwing their arms up. How can we change the rules in the middle of the, uh, the stream here? Well, now I think people wish that maybe the rules were changed and the competition was done that way a little bit more because it provided great competition uh, throughout an entire 10-month uh, schedule, and we had a lot of good things to happen. Yes, the sport is about entertainment, but the only one's responsibility for entertainment is the sanctioning body. Our job is to cover it, tell the stories, and, and cover an exciting race. The competitors are there to race and win races. I don't want Brad Kozlowski getting in his car worrying about making it entertaining because right. that's no. not sports. Yeah, right. Sports no. are reality TV at its finest. Point. It is a competitor trying to beat another competitor on a playing field that a sanctioning body has created. So much like DJ said, the sanctioning body has to make the decisions. I'm fine with them all giving their opinions, but in the end, when they put the helmet on, I don't want to hear about opinions. I want to see who can win. It's a polarizing topic. I think yeah. what we can all agree right now is that whatever your package you're running, it's still very exciting to go to the racetrack and see these cars going around Isn't the track. Isn't it exciting, though, that we have something to talk about? Yeah. You, I, you know, I think that's what has fired this all up. It's exciting for me that's that right. I am newer to this sport than both of you and feel like I still have an opinion on how I feel about it. Sure. We don't all have to agree. We definitely respect each other. We respect Brad Kozlowski and Mark Martin yep, and everybody absolutely. else that has an opinion. It is, what are we going to do about it now? We don't have to do anything. What is NASCAR going to do yes. moving forward? Um, let's get to our social pit stop of the day because this is really cool. A nice moment from Brad Kozlowski. Take a listen. <laughs> So this is frontstretch.com at capturing the sights and sounds of racing at Michigan. And Brad Kozlowski saying, this is why you must go to a NASCAR race to truly appreciate it. Which 14 is, years old, Daytona, yeah. 1994. Yeah. I saw that. That's all I took. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we're going to have part two of Scandal Michigan featuring Clint Boyer's fateful restart on Sunday. And we're also going to look back on Boyer's winding career in the sport. Stay with us. To see the two cars in front of me at the end, the four and the 14, that's a big day for Stuart Haas Racing. It's it's very special to finish one, two, three. Uh, I tried to get to your outside when we were on the track, maybe get a picture with 14, four, and 41 on the, the front straightaway to, to symbolize such a special day here in Michigan and to, to win, you know, at Stuart Haas for Ford, one, two, three, it's a huge day in Detroit. Sunday was big for Stuart Haas Racing. It marked the first time since 2008 that a single organization swept the top three spots in a cup race. And for more on how Clint Boyer managed to get the win, we go to part two of today's Scandal Michigan. Coming to the green, nice smooth shift. Set line, build, start, finish. Ready, green. Clint Boyer, maybe the fastest car out there right now. We're watching him slice his way through the field. Really good job, bud. It, it gets good. For. You think we should leave the tape off for now? No, I put the tape on it. We can handle that. Clint was really happy with it, really comfortable with it, really comfortable in traffic, which was a great thing to hear early on in the race. The car was solid. It was a podium car, top three car all day long. Trouble Run. turn four. Kyle Larson is around. My nose is in pretty good. Splitter's right. Yells out. 42, Rick. No changes. Everything's good, though? Yeah. We weren't really making any 
adjustments to the car. We weren't changing air pressures or anything. We were just kind of leaving it go. And uh, we were creeping our way forward, finished, you know, third the first stage and second the second stage. And I knew our car had plenty of speed, and I thought maybe if we got the lead, it was strong enough to hold people off. How's the radar holding up? About the same? Yeah, about the same, maybe a little closer. This right there at us. I'm going to venture to say somewhere around four to five weather apps were going all at the same time. And I can't say that any one of them was saying the exact same thing. All right, bud. Give me an update of what I'm thinking here. At first, I was thinking four because it looked like the storm was still pretty far away. The problem is it's now to the northeast of us. The storm started to grow. It's kind of closing in here. I can't help you there, so make sure you call. <laughs> yeah, 10 more. And here they come. Three, two, three. But at that point, our bed was made and we sent him out. And Clint asked, Are we the only one on two tires? And I was like, Yeah, we are. Your only chance is to hold on for a couple laps. That's the only window you got. And I'm like, Man, is it as close as you think it is? The part that's like a light green is literally right on top of us, just about. The heavier stuff looks pretty far away, still 15 miles. And then he said 15 miles. I'm like, 15 miles? Damn, boy, we got like a lap and a half to hold these guys off, and we're done. We're cooked. Clint Boyer and Kevin Harvick side by side. Clint did a great job, an amazing job you know, holding off Kevin Harvick, and uh, and it took all the way till turn four for him to complete the pass. Boyer now breaks free into the lead, the car links up on Harvick. Pretty heavy miss, though. Visibility's pretty bad, three and four. It's raining. Yellow, yellow, yellow. It, it's definitely coming down now. We've gone right on by mist into sprinkle. Get damn clothes off and get to dancing. Well, if I get my clothes off, what's that gotta do with dancing? Or you gotta do an Indian dance. Why do you need no clothes to do that? I don't know. It's more fun when you're partying naked. NASCAR has just told us the race is official. Clint Boyer is indeed the race winner. <laughs> I've never had a gift, man. It rained. We won this race. And so they're finally like, you want to go do a burnout? And I had already had my helmet off, so I'm like, you damn right I do. So I drove down along the wall and waved everybody, gave them thumbs up, thanked them for coming. And then it's like, well, I'm gonna do a burnout now. And <laughs> the pipes are loud. I didn't have my earplugs in. My gosh, it blew my eardrums out. Blew tires out too. <laughs> Pure joy for Clint Boyer, a driver that's worked so hard to get to this point. He spent his first six seasons as a Cup Series driver with Richard Childress Racing, amassing a total of five victories and three playoff appearances. During his time with RCR, he also competed in the Xfinity Series in 2008. He captured the series championship on the strength of 29 top 10 finishes. And then in 2012, Boyer joined Michael Waltrip Racing. That year, he had his best season as a driver with three victories and a runner-up finish in points. And after MWR closed its doors, Boyer knew he was headed to Stuart Haas Racing, but would have to spend the 2016 season with H. Scott Motorsports, and he finished a career low 27th in points. He's currently in his second year with Stuart Haas Racing, and due to those two victories, he is now poised to make his first playoff appearance in three years. Quite an evolution. And I mentioned earlier what Parker said yesterday that kind of like Martin Truex Jr. esque, maybe in a way, not mm -hmm. to steal his thunder because it was a great point, but this is a resurgence, I think, that we're seeing. Do you agree? You're seeing a very colorful character later in his career who went through a point in his career, DJ at MWR and through that whole controversy and, and taking a, a backseat in a, maybe a little bit underfunded team. 
who I think appreciates every good car he ever gets in now. And, and that's where, as I said, already a colorful character. He didn't need a lot of help there. <laughs> but, but, but what you're seeing now is why I love sports. And there are, uh, you know, Alex Ovechkin, you and I had this talk, finally at the end of his career, wins the Stanley Cup or near the end of his career after such a long drive. Right. It's great to watch stars who get to a point where it's just about the pure joy of winning. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing, right? It's the pure joy of winning. Yeah. Mo most people in, or a lot of stars in most sports, have to get some type of a second chance to, to make things really work. I mean, very few Jeff Gordons come along. I mean, even you go back and look at Dell Earnhardt as he struggled to begin with. Yeah, he won a championship, and then things weren't so good for a while, and he, then he won a lot more. Uh, <laughs> but you have to have that sometimes. And that's, that's Boyer here, getting that opportunity. He's getting that opportunity because everybody knows, including Tony Stewart, how very talented he is and, and what uh, a good boost he can be for a race team. So it's nice to see that happen. Uh, many of us, myself included, had to get that second or third chance to, to be able to, to get with the right situation. And Boyer has found that now. And I think that now he's playing with house money. That's what makes him really dangerous here is that he is a gambler and he's got this freedom now because he knows he's in a good race car every single week and he wants to take advantage of that and again very very appreciative of it just very quickly somebody we should be thinking about as a championship contender at this point after a pair of wins i think a championship contender in the playoffs and should be a fan favorite i mean a kid from yeah. a body shop in the middle of kansas i mean it, no who else could you cheer for no came doubt. from frame yeah. from running a tow truck to driving a race car what could be better yeah so, exactly yeah and you look at the, the tracks and the things they line up pretty well for him yeah. to, to make yeah. a run to to get there he is so easy to root for uh he certainly <laughs> celebrated after this victory this past weekend uh his wife laura though seems to know how to keep him in check. Wife pissed. So he's not in the doghouse. He's just walking the dog, I guess. Is well, that... I think he took him and the dog out of the doghouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's what yeah. happened. So they're both heading back in shortly, basically, yeah. and they're probably there for the rest of the off week. Fair enough. I bet it was worth it. Noah and Clint Boyer coming up. Rusty Wallace and Dale Earnhardt, two of NASCAR's toughest competitors. No surprise to see them race each other for the win. We're going to revisit one of their great battles from the 90s when we come back. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Welcome back, everybody. So, Dale Earnhardt Jr., getting ready to start with us. Our broadcast team, July 1st, live from Chicagoland. Is he ready or what, Steve? Oh, he's ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to get back to covering some races. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, can't wait to have him with us. So, make sure you are with us as well. Meantime, this day in NASCAR history, taking us back to 1994 at Pocono in a moment with his dad, Rusty Wallace, passing Dale Earnhardt. For the race lead going into turn one on the final lap, the 89 series champ held off the Intimidator by three-tenths of a second for the victory. It was part of a great June for Wallace, who would sweep all three cup races during the month. That was this day in history. I wonder if you could imagine if there was social media back when Rusty and the Intimidator were going door-to-door. -door. I'm not sure what that would look like. I don't know if we want to know. Time now to make a social pit stop here. So an off week for Chase Elliott. Looks like he's um, setting sail. Going to spend it on the water like a lot of people do. Fair enough. Uh, the 43 team at Richard Petty Motorsports taking a field trip to the Petty Museum today. Bubba Wallace given this photo by the Petty family of himself and the King before this year's Speed Weeks at Daytona. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. One yeah. to remember. That's nice. And then uh, one of the new exhibits at the Petty Museum, Cole Trickle Chevy from the movie Days of Thunder. wonder if it still has that set of matched tires on it. I'm not Absolutely. sure. <laughs> Absolutely, says DJ. That's good stuff for the social pit stop of the day. 
Coming up, though, we are going to take a look ahead to tomorrow's show. Kyle Larson has a big announcement. We'll share that with you. Plus, Matt Kenseth, we mentioned him earlier. He gets candid about his return to the Cup Series. That's straight ahead. So here's what we've got in store on tomorrow's edition of NASCAR America. Uh, but coming up next, Mecham Auto Auctions from Houston. Make sure you're with us for that, whether you're into the vintage muscle or the modern-day classics. There's something for everybody, so make sure you're there. Uh, I just mentioned what we had in store tomorrow. Kyle Larson going to reveal his throwback paint scheme for this year's Southern 500 at Darlington. And plus, Matt Kenseth featured on the latest installment of our Driver to Driver series as well. So we've got a lot of good stuff on the show. We'll be back at the Oak Table. Make sure you're with us for that. The next race after Chicagoland is going to be Daytona. Earlier today, tickets went on sale for next year's Daytona 500. So if you'd like to purchase tickets for the Great American Race, you can call 1-800-PITCH-SHOP or go to Daytona500.com to get those. You mentioned the Daytona 500 earlier, Steve. Take us back to 1994. Well, Such a sweet memory. Well, that video. We showed those cars at Michigan going by at 200 miles an hour. I remember driving from Maine to Daytona, basically 24 hours with my dad for speed weeks of 1994. I was a, a young kid, and I walked out to the front stretch, and those cars came off from turn four and came by the fence for the first time. And that was it. I was hooked. And when I saw 200 miles an hour in person, there is nothing at all like it. I mean, that place, and you and I have talked about this. The Daytona 500, I've been fortunate enough to go to Super Bowls, World Series. The green flag of the Daytona 500 is Super Bowl-level excitement. There is, there is very few things in sport as exciting as those 40 cars rolling off just the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah and I have friends that have, had, you know, they're like, I watched it on TV, but I don't get everything. I said, you, you have to go to a race. You have to attend the race to really appreciate what you're seeing on TV then. And if you get there, you know, take your kids. It's just a great time. But the Daytona 500, for sure, is a must-see if you're a sports fan. I think that's why we get so fired up about this stuff, right? Because when you talk to people in the sport, they care so much about this sport yep. because these moments have left such an indelible impression on their entire lives. You must have not even imagined at that point that you would be sitting here with the two of us <laughs> Today, I, after I, such a career. For uh, uh, Matt, Matt, my dad, who took me there, today's actually his birthday, which he worked for DJ for a long yeah. time. They won a championship Bill together. Bars, so yeah. happy birthday to my dad. He's the reason yeah. I'm here. He's the one that made me fall in love with racing. It's been a heck of a ride, and I can't wait. You mentioned it. Dale Jr. in the booth. Go ahead and kick the training wheels off, DJ, and kind of push him out there. It's been a lot of fun practicing with him. It's been exciting. So I think he's going to be good. I think he's hibernating this week. Just he was here training. last week. He's really excited about this, and he's going to be so good at it. Just a great perspective, yeah. and, and he's such a fan of the sport. That's going to make it even better. We've got Jeff Burton on the show tomorrow. We might have to talk to him about uh, that Sharpie yeah, job that you did at the beginning picture, of the show. Yeah. It's great that you're not going to be here, Steve. That's just going to be me. All right, that'll do it. We'll see you again tomorrow, same time, same place. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.